1: This is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. Now, winter has blown in to the wilds of Connecticut. The first snowfall has come and uh, everything around me is blanketed in that gorgeous white that we associate with the new season and with the hibernation that all things must undertake in order to get through to the new season, the new season after the new season, the next new season, some other season, whatever comes after winter. I don't know what it is, but I do know what winter means for me. Tostitos in lots of them. I sit on the throne here in the reading room, my shitty little rat dog, Jack Jack, curled up Beside me, really uh, more uh, behind me today, he's sequestered uh, just beyond my left buttock, where I imagine I am giving him some measure of warmth. Because he is a shitty little rat dog, he has very little protective fur. Nothing protects him from the elements other than the kindness of strangers. And so he is curled up just under my left buttock. And uh, I have my Afghan tossed over my shoulder, so he is underneath that. I imagine it is a comfortable little cocoon from which to contemplate life. And nobody has done more contemplation of life than our friend Jude Fowley, who, when last we met him, was trudging back to Mary Green, his own doggy tail between his legs, After a night of drunken carousing, followed by an embarrassing episode at his cousin Sue Bridehead's home, Jude has decided that he has no place in Christminster. He has no place in higher education. He may have no place in this life. So he uh, leaves his little apartment. He starts walking the 20 miles back to Mary Green, still a little drunk. And uh, it says he had ample time to complete on the way the sobering process begun in him. And so it is a new season for Jude. It is a new winter that has descended upon him. And I pick it up. At some hour of the evening, he reached Alfredston. Uh, If you recall, Alfredston is the town next to Mary Green, where Jude and uh, Arabella had a little cottage. No more. Here he pawned his waistcoat and having gone, so he's, he's literally selling the clothes off his back. These are the straits to which Jude has been reduced. And having gone out of the town a mile or two, slept under a rick that night. At dawn, he rose, shook off the hay seeds and stems from his clothes and started again, breasting the long white road up the hill, to the downs which had been visible to him a long way off and passing the milestone at the top whereupon he had carved his hopes years ago he had carved his initials and and i think he i think he carved the word like thither or something basically um pointing the way to christminster like i'm gonna go there and i'm gonna make my mark and uh he went there and he shat the bed We've all done it. We've all shat the bed at various points. the The question is, what do we do now? Some of us go back to our hometowns. No shame in it, my friends. No shame in it. You strike out for L.A. to make it big. You get off the bus. Next thing you know, some dude is pimped he out. You're turning tricks for five bucks on Santa Monica Boulevard. You turn around, you go back. Nobody has to know. He reached the ancient hamlet while the people were at breakfast, weary. And mud bespattered, but quite possessed of his ordinary clearness of brain, he sat down by the well, thinking, as he did so, what a poor Christ he made. I don't know what that means. I understand, like Mel Gibson made the movie Jesus the Christ, or whatever. Like the Christ is a title of some sort. I don't know, but he was. He was uh, Jude wasn't a good one. Clearly, he, he's not Christ. He's Job we know that seeing a trow of water near he bathed his face and went on to the cottage of his great aunt whom he found breakfasting in bed attended by the woman who lived with her what out of work asked his relative regarding him through eyes sunken deep, under lids heavy as pot covers, no other cause for his tumbled appearance, suggesting itself to one whose whole life had been a struggle with material things. Yes, said Jude heavily, I think I must have a little rest. Refreshed by some breakfast, he went up to his old room Oh, I thought she sold the place. I guess she just sold. She sold the bakery, which in my mind, I guess, was attached to the place. But no, so, 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 so she still lives in that same cottage. All right. So he goes up to his old room and lay down in his shirt sleeves after the manner of the artisan. He fell asleep for a short while. And when he awoke, it was as if he had awakened in hell. Oh, oh, good. I mean, I like I like that because I was getting a little drowsy just reading. OK, he walked to Mary We don't need three pages on that. But I like that he awakened in hell. And then the next sentence is it was hell. <laughs> Good. <laughs> like when we read a book, what are we rooting for? Really? We're rooting for misery. We're rooting for conflict. We're rooting for some to happen. And so, you know, look, if he's in hell, great. It was hell. The hell of conscious failure, both in ambition and in love. He thought of that previous abyss into which he had fallen before leaving this part of the country. The deepest deep he had supposed it then, but it was not so deep as this. That had been the breaking in of the outer bulwarks of his (laughs) hump. This was of his second line. So... It's like he's he's this fortified, he's got this fortified position of basically of his soul, of his life. And the first time he left Mary Green was his, his, his first heartbreak. And now this is the second heartbreak. And perhaps there will be a third and a fourth and a fifth. We don't know. If he had been a woman, he must have screamed under the nervous tension, which he was now undergoing. But that relief being denied to his virility, He clenched his teeth in misery, bringing lines about his mouth like those of the (sighs) Laocoon. Now I gotta look up what the fuck the Laocoon is. L A O C O O N Laocoon. Um. The son of uh. Acotes, A-C-O-E-T-E-S, figure in Greek and Roman mythology, Trojan priest. He was attacked, giant serpents sent by the gods. So he had a shitty life, too. Le, Leocun, Leocun, Keu, Keuon, I don't know. Uh, we, uh, we It's bad, right? It's bad. That's all we need to know about Jude. It's bad. It's always bad. A mournful wind blew through the trees and sounded in the chimney, like the pedal notes of an organ. Each ivy leaf overgrowing the wall of the churchless churchyard hard by. Oh, wait, let me read that again. Each ivy leaf overgrowing the wall of the churchless churchyard hard by now abandoned, pecked. So the church that they originally talked about in the beginning that had been sort of uh, thrown up there quickly, which had replaced one that had been there for years now, I guess, has been abandoned. That's, and, and who else's church has been abandoned? The Church of Jude Fowley, right? Ultimately, that's what this is about. I think it's about faith, how it is tested, and how faith can be, as opposed to every other fucking story out there, unrewarded. Not rewarded. The whole book, to this point, has felt like, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, a kind of implicit uh, criticism of Christianity, or maybe of what Christianity has become, according to Thomas Hardy, which is a fool's game. It in, in all in every other story, faith is rewarded, right? It's like you believe in something and you're 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 put through trials and tribulations, and then in the end, you get that thing because you had faith. In this story, apparently, what happens is you believe in something and you're put through trials and tribulations, and then not only do you not get it, but you are in hell how does that sound you want more right well you've got it after a little break
2: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road
1: Rx Bar is a whole food protein bar that wants to build things the right way. They just use a few simple, clean ingredients. Every ingredient serves a purpose. And it's all listed right on the front of the package, like egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, spices like sea salt or cinnamon. For adults, 14 delicious flavors. But RX Bar also has kids' bars in six flavor varieties like PB&J and chocolate chip. They're the same whole food ingredients as RX Bar, just a little bit smaller and in kid-friendly flavors. I sometimes, if I'm hungry and I just need a little something, I I would even get one as a meal substitute if I'm eating light. I did that the other day. I walked into a New York deli. I bought, I bought, I outlaid money from my own empty pockets, nearly empty pockets to buy an RX bar. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, made without artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or fillers. RX Bar is offering you an exclusive pack of 6 adult bars and 4 kids bars so the whole family is able to enjoy for 25% off your first order. Visit rxbar.com/obscure and enter promo code obscure at checkout, valid in the US only. Welcome back. This is Obscure and we are in a churchyard with Jude. Let us continue. It pecked its neighbors smartly, and the vein on the new Victorian Gothic church in the new spot had already begun to creak. Yet apparently it was not always the outdoor wind that made the deep murmurs. It was a voice. He guessed its origin in a moment or two. The curate was praying with his aunt in the adjoining room. Sometimes I say aunt, sometimes I say aunt. I know, there's no correct pronunciation I think aunt sounds classier but does it sound pretentious I don't know it just came out this time as aunt he remembered her speaking of him presently the sounds ceased and a step seemed to cross the landing Jude sat up and shouted hoy the step made for his door which was open and a man looked in it was a young clergyman I think you are Mr. Hyridge, said Jude. My aunt, see, now I say aunt, my aunt has mentioned you more than once. Well, here I am, just come home, a fellow gone to the bad, though I had the best intentions in the world at one time. Now I am melancholy mad, what with drinking and one thing and another. Oh, that's a fine how-do-you-do, isn't it? Nice to meet you, I'm a drunk. My, I mean, I guess that's how they start the AA meetings. So this this is his uh, AA meeting. Hi, my name is Jude Fowley, and I am melancholy mad. What with drinking and one thing and another. Slowly, Jude unfolded to the curate his late plans and movements by an unconscious bias dwelling less upon the intellectual and ambitious side of his dream and more upon the theological though this had, up till now, been merely a portion of the general plan of advancement. Now I know I have been a fool and that folly is with me, added Jude in conclusion, and I don't regret the collapse of my university hopes one jot. I wouldn't begin again if I were sure to succeed. I don't care for social success anymore at all, but I do feel I should like to do some good thing and I bitterly regret the church and the loss of my chance of being her ordained minister. The curate, who was a new man to this neighborhood, had grown deeply interested, and at last he said, If you feel a real call to the ministry, and I won't say from your conversation that you do not, for it is that of a thoughtful and educated man, you might enter the church as a licentiate Only you must make up your mind to avoid strong drink. I think that's isn't that what? uh, What's his face became a licentiate, just like a you know, like a candy striper of the church. You come in, you look, you know, you show people around. You say, "Hey, look at this, look at that." You want to buy a pack of gum, and he says, "You can be that, but you must make up your mind to avoid strong drink." Right, because the the church has no drunks in it. The British church entirely free of drunks and child diddlers. Entirely free of both of those things. He says, you have to avoid strong drink. I could avoid that easily enough if I had any kind of hope to support me. Well, that's the end of the chapter. So Thomas Hardy does this. He shows us misery after misery after misery, and then he dangles a little bit of hope, right? A little bait there to keep us turning the pages a little bit of, oh, maybe this will get a little bit better for Jude. And maybe it will for for a moment. Maybe there will be a moment of, of blessed good fortune, For now, the licentiate hopeful Jude Fowley, as he's talking to this clergy, why doesn't the clergyman say, you seem so thoughtful, you seem so educated, you seem so ready for the clergy, I can pull a few strings, you can talk to my bishop, you can talk to to my boss and let's see what we can do. But he doesn't. He says, yeah, yeah, you can't go to the university, but you know, you might be a candy striper. That's what he says. Oh, and that's the end of part the second. So the at Christminster portion of the book is concluded we are in part third the first part was at mary green right then it was at christminster now we're at part third at melchester i we've never even heard of melchester before but we're about to travel there well that's very exciting i mean i feel like uh, you must be on as on the edge of your reading throne or perhaps listening throne as i am on the edge of mine you can hear me getting ready to turn the page. I am I am all excited. And then it starts with a quote. Oh, God, no. No. Here's the quote. For there was no other girl, oh, bridegroom, like her. Sappho. So there's another girl that's going to show up. And, and there's no other like her. So Jude's going to fall in love again. And what do we think? ladies and germs, what do we think about Jude's chances? You and I, listeners of his heart, we would, we would do anything for poor Jude Fowley. We'd be with him. I'd marry Jude Fowley. He's such a good guy. I mean, yes, he can be a little stalkerish. He can be a little psychotic. He can be a little uh, sanctimonious, but he's a good guy. He's like, he's like Hamlet. Hey, Shakespeare, what are you, what are you doing writing to Hamlet? Why don't you write Jude the, Jude the Obscure? I write royalty. Well, come on now, Shakespeare. Write Jude the Obscure. I write royalty. Chapter one. It was a new idea. Okay, now, now I, have to, I have to acknowledge a Twitter follower because here comes that word again, the word that I have struggled with from the very beginning which I have been pronouncing as ecclesiastical. And the guy on Twitter says it's pronounced ecclesiastical. I don't know what's right. And I could look it up, but I'm going to go with the Twitter pronunciation. It was a new idea, the ecclesiastical and altruistic life as distinct from the intellectual and emulative life a man could preach and do good to his fellow creatures without taking double firsts in the schools of Christminster or having anything but ordinary knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. You just described our last two Republican presidents. At best, they have ordinary knowledge. And neither of them took double firsts in the schools of Christminster. I can tell you that. But there they are preaching. They're just not, they're not, they didn't do the good part. The old fancy which had led on to the culminating vision of the bishop bishopric, meaning I guess, you know, becoming a bishop, the bishopric, had not been, and here we will acknowledge, as we must, the word prick, had not been an ethical or theological enthusiasm at all, but a mundane ambition masquerading in a surplus. He feared that his whole scheme had degenerated too, even though it might not have originated in a social unrest, which had no foundation in the nobler instincts, which was purely an artificial product of civilization. There were thousands of young men on the same self-seeking track at the present moment, the sensual hind who ate, drank, and lived carelessly with his wife through the of his vanity was a more likable being than he. So clearly his self-worth has not improved from part the second to part third. Jude is still beating himself up. Here's the thing. If you're Jude Fowley, what ambition could you have? You're not given any opportunities other than to look to the church to help you out. And then he's beating himself up because he had some ambition, but that was his only way out. I mean, I think we all sensed that Jude's uh, uh, heart was not so much in the theological aspect of the church as it was in the intellectual pursuit of knowledge. Fine. Nobody's going to begrudge you that. It's fine, man. But to enter the church in such an unscholarly way that he could not in any probability rise to a higher grade through all his career than that of the humble curate wearing his life out in an obscure village or city slum, that might have a touch of goodness and greatness in it. That might be true religion, and a purgatorial course worthy of being followed by a remorseful man. The favorable light in which this new thought showed itself by contrast with his foregone intentions cheered Jude. <laughs> right, he's what he's saying is look, shit shit sucks. And if I just accept that shit sucks and that I suck and that I was an asshole for trying to rise above my station, and I just accept that the highest I could ever possibly dream to be is just a candy striper in a shithole town, well, then that's pretty good, isn't it? And I can spend my life in penitence uh, regretting my ambition. This is that whole British thing, I think. And look, I'm no expert in the Brits, but it seems to me like it's that whole British thing where uh, they get down on you if you have any ambition at all. I wonder if it like kind of originates with sort of the way it was and maybe continues to be in England. This idea that you are born into a certain station and how dare you try to rise above it. It is the opposite of America. We talked in an earlier episode about how Jude Fowley in America would be written as a Horatio Alger story, the story of a kid who rises up from scrappy beginnings and becomes president of the mill. But now... but in England, it's the opposite. Kid who rises from scrappy beginnings and rises and then falls back down even lower than when he began because he dared to dream of anything. I don't know. The favorable light in which this new thought showed itself by contrast with his foregone intentions, cheered Jude as he sat there shabby and lonely. And it may be said to have given during the next few days the coup de grace to his intellectual career, a career which had extended over the greater part of a dozen years. He did nothing, however, for some long stagnant time to advance his new desire, occupying himself with little jobs in putting up and lettering headstones about the neighboring villages and submitting to be regarded as a social failure a returned purchase by the half dozen or so of farmers and other country people who condescended to nod to him. Well, fuck them. Seriously, fuck them. What did they ever try to do? Nothing. The kid who goes out to LA and gets off the bus and gets pimped out on Santa Monica Boulevard, at least that kid tried to do something, even if it did result in $5 hand jobs. At least they tried. And sure, they got back on the bus and came back to bumfuck wherever, but they gave it a go. And who are these farmers and country people to condescend and nod to him? They had dreams too. They didn't follow him. So what if it didn't work? He tried, damn it. The human interest of the new intention, and a human interest is indispensable to the most spiritual and self-sacrificing, was created by a letter from Sue bearing a fresh Postmark. She evidently wrote with anxiety and told very little about her own doings. More than that, she had passed some sort of examination for a Queen's scholarship and was going to enter a training college at Melchester. 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 And that's where we shall go in just a minute here on Obscure. Hello from the Magic Tavern is a fully improvised comedy chat show set in a magical world hosted by a wizard, a talking badger, and a guy from Chicago who fell through a dimensional portal. It's like Cheers in Middle Earth, or It's Always Sunny in Narnia. This week, they're doing a special book club episode where the hosts, a barbarian, and a talking flower read Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, drink wine, and try to understand all the Earth stuff. We promise It's the only podcast you'll listen to this week where a wizard tries to figure out if he's a Lizzie or totally a Mr. Darcy. Some guests that have been on recently uh, include Felicia Day as a wizard, Jordan Klepper as a phoenix. You can start at the beginning to follow the whole story or just jump into any episode that sounds appealing. Check out Hello from the Magic Tavern on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Back on Obscure, Michael Ian Black here. Are you ready for Melchester? There was a theological college at Melchester. Melchester was a quiet and soothing place, almost entirely ecclesiastical in its tone a spot where worldly learning and intellectual smartness had no establishment, where the altruistic feeling that he did possess would perhaps be more highly estimated than a brilliancy which he did not. So, in other words, Christminster... She's saying, and he's saying, uh, is basically you know a place for smarty pants. It's Harvard Yad. It's a place where you go and you go, how do you like them apples? It's a place where everybody's just kind of showing off for each other. But this place, Melchester, sounds like a place you know, like a like a combination monastery convent town where you go and everybody walks around and they're feeling good and they're handing each other Oreos and saying, here's an Oreo. That's what it sounds like Melchester is like, a place where you could have altruistic feelings, a place where you can do good for others, a place that is, as uh, she just said, quiet and soothing. So this has now sparked in him some human interest. As it would be necessary that he should continue for a time to work at his trade while reading up divinity, which he had neglected at Christminster for the ordinary classical grind. What better course for him than to get employment at the further city and pursue this plan of reading? That his excessive human interest in the new place was entirely of Sue's making, while at the same time Sue was to be regarded even less than formerly as proper to create it. Had an ethical contradictoriness, to which he was not blind. Good, but that much he conceded to human frailty, and hoped to learn to love her only as a friend and kinswoman. So here we go again, Jude, perpetual liar to himself, and really, you know, that's being that's being unduly harsh to Jude. But when it comes to his feelings for Sue, he is just a liar unto himself. You know, part of him was like, yeah, maybe I can just do some good. You know, maybe I can just go out in the world and do some good. And then he gets this letter, but I'm but I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm just kind of doing headstones here and, and and hanging wallpaper for people, you know, and recycling cigarette butts and doing whatever you do. And then he gets this letter from Sue, and she says, Well, by by the way, I'm heading over to Melchester, a quiet and soothing place. And then Jude gets into it. Oh, maybe I'll go to Melchester too. No reason, no reason at all. I mean, it sounds like a nice place. It has nothing to do with the fact that I want to bone my cousin. It's got nothing to do with that. I mean, it kinda does, but look, that's just part of the deal. It's human frailty, I'll deal with it. Come on, Jude. He considered that he might so mark out his coming years as to begin his ministry at the age of 30, an age which much attracted him as being that of his exemplar when he first began to teach in Galilee. So Jude is now comparing himself to Jesus. Good stuff, man. This would allow him plenty of time for deliberate study and for acquiring capital by his trade to help his aftercourse of keeping the necessary terms at a theological college. So the, the way I understand it, and I might be totally getting this wrong, but what it sounds like is a theological college, as opposed to the universities at Christminster, it sounds like a theological college is kind of like a community college. Like if you want to go preach the gospel, you don't have to necessarily go to university. You can just go to one of these community colleges and get your, you know, associate's degree in being a curator, or being whatever, and being a candy striper, and you go and you and you read the good book, but you can never hope to 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 advance beyond that, right? And so that's what it sounds like Jude's sort of getting psyched to do. Like he's gonna he's gonna become a minister, he's gonna begin his ministry, he's gonna be thirty, and like he's gonna do good in the world, and maybe he'll bone his cousin, but probably not because she's his cousin and he knows not to do it. But you know who knows? But you know if if the cousin you want to bone is over there at the community college, well, maybe you pack your bags and you go over to the community college. So we know now where Melchester is. We know what its purpose is. We know that Jude has his sights set on... He's lowered his ambitions. Okay, fine. Maybe he's not going to be a movie star in Hollywood, but you can go over to uh, Topeka and they've got a pretty good theater scene over there and you can do some local stuff. You, know, you go do a production of Our Town and you play the stage manager and it can be pretty satisfying. Tomorrow night, for example, the wife and I, and you've met her, her name's Martha, and she is so mean to me. The wife and I are heading over to the, the high school here in the wilds of Connecticut to watch the high school musical, which this season is Les Miserables. And again, it's the same story, right? Les Miserables is the same story. A bunch of poor people with hopes. A bunch of poor folk with ambition. A guy steals a loaf of bread to feed his family. Well, what is Jude if not Jean Valjean? Stealing a loaf of bread. In this case, the bread is knowledge. It's a classic story and a tragic story in the case of Jean Valjean, although leavened with some hope at the end, even though he dies. Will Jude Fowley die at the end? We don't know. Look down, look down, don't look him in the eye. I don't know. I don't know how it goes. Look down, look down. Bum, 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 bum. All right, guys. Uh, We'll wrap it up right there. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of the same old, same old with Jude. Two steps backwards... Another step backward. I mean, that's just the way it goes with you. Just to always taking steps backward. But but it's entertaining. I'm entertained. I'm looking forward to Les Mis. I'm looking forward to this new season. This season of winter. This new season for Jude. The season of Melchester. Jude, uh, my shitty little rat dog Jack Jack has not moved, and so consequently, I have not moved because he's against my left buttock. So and he's not the best booster seat. I I will admit he provides very little lower back support. So I'm going to leave the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. I'm probably going to take a poo. So until next time, for another thrilling episode of Obscure, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at earwolf.com and be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And you can talk to us at Obscure with Michael Ian Black at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't, why? Did you make it all the way to the credits? Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor. If you would like information about sponsoring our show, email hello. At midroll.com from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black. Uh-huh.